expectations. I reckon there are any number of things that might come to our mind when we hear the word expectations, right? Expectations isn't a flimsy thing. It's got some give in it, but for the most part, we perceive it to be relatively solid. I expect that my car will start when I turn the ignition or press the button or whatever we're doing these days. I expect that crops will grow taller and that the seasons will change consistently. I expect that the sun will rise on all of us tomorrow. We certainly do not expect the unexpected. Expectations are concretized hopes. Hopes that have been made real because they've been made true time and again. Hope is simply and beautifully aspirational. Like Paul says in the letter to the Romans, now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what one already sees? Might we be so bold as to say that our expectations are hopes that we have seen? Hopes that we have come to rely on? Hopes come true? The scary thing about expectations, though, is that they occasionally falter when your car doesn't start as you expect it to, when crops don't grow as they're expected to, when seasons stop changing like we expect them to, when the sun doesn't rise on all of the people it's set on. A dashed expectation hurts more to us than a dashed hope, I think, because we are people of patterns and comfort and trust. And when we encounter disruption, we may feel betrayed, confused, hurt, angry, because our expectations are supposed to be met, because they are hopes we can count on, hopes we've seen. This morning, we hear the story of Naaman, an accomplished military commander, a great man, a trusted and highly favored servant of his king, a mighty warrior. Given what we can read and hear in this story, Naaman's account is filled with the unexpected. This skilled general is not, as one might expect, struck by some battlefield-related malady. He's felled by a likely painful skin condition that causes some heightened degree of suffering or isolation. Naaman, as one might expect, is not directed to a cure for his disease by some skilled apothecary or physician. He's advised by way of his wife by a captured slave girl that there's a prophet hundreds of miles away who could provide lasting healing. Word of this unnamed servant girl, as one might expect, doesn't get dismissed or laughed at or beaten back. This word is taken by her master all the way to the king, a king who hears it 
and sends Naaman away to be made well. Y'all see this? At every turn of this story for Naaman, the unexpected happened. From the leprosy to the medical advice to the journey to Samaria, Naaman encounters the unexpected. Now we know how the story ends, right? Naaman is cured. But imagine, if you will, Naaman's expectations. I reckon he expected to not get an awful skin disease. I also bet he expected to find a cure in some shape, form, or fashion before having to rely on the word of one of his slaves. I think he expected to be given a clear, relatively conventional set of advice about how he might go about being made well. And when he arrived at Elijah's house, I certainly believe he would have at least expected to be greeted at the door. But after all of these expectations were dashed, I think it was fair for him to exclaim, I thought that for me, he would surely come out and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and would wave his hand over the spot. That's actually what he said. And cure me. Imagine the anguish, the frustration, yet another dashed hope, yet another unmet expectation. He turned and went away in a rage, but his servants approached and said to him, if the prophet had commanded you to do something difficult, would you not have done it? How much more when all he said to you was wash and be clean? Yet again, the unexpected voice of a servant spurs Naaman to action. And, quite unexpectedly, the salve for his literal wounds was to take a seven-part bath. Unexpectedly easy. And Naaman is cured. Did he expect to be cured? Perhaps, but... Did he expect to be cured like this? Almost certainly not. This is quite the unexpected encounter with God's power. Now, what you hear on a Sunday morning is how this story ends. You won't hear what comes next until today. Why the compilers of our lectionary didn't include this is beyond me, but I think it's important for us to close the loop on Naaman. So let's refresh. Naaman has just come out of the Jordan for the seventh time. What might we expect him to do? The more cynical part of us might say, he went back to Damascus, he presented himself to his king, and got right back to conquering and pillaging and such. But that's not what happens. He then went back to Elisha. He and his entourage stood before him and said, I now know beyond a shadow of a doubt that there is no God anywhere on earth other than the God of Israel. In gratitude, let me give you a gift. As God lives, Elisha replied, the God whom I serve, I'll take nothing from you. Naaman tried his best to get him to take something, but he wouldn't do it. If you won't take anything said Naaman, let me ask you for something. Give me a load of dirt. 
as much as a team of donkeys can carry, because I am never again going to worship any god other than God. But there is one thing for which I need God's pardon. When my master, the king, leaning on my arm, enters his shrine and worships there, and I'm there with him, worshiping in the shrine, may you see to it that God forgives me for this. Elisha said, everything will be all right. Go in peace. Now here's what I notice. We aren't told whether or not Naaman gets his load of dirt. That small piece of land on which he can recall, perhaps relive his encounter with the God of Israel, now the God of Naaman. We also aren't told how Naaman's story ends. What happens when he gets back to Damascus? How is he received? How does his faith manifest? How does he grow? But we are told, in no uncertain terms, how Naaman departed in peace. It's almost as if Elisha was telling him, don't worry about the dirt. Don't worry about the obligations that you must complete as a soldier, as a servant. Don't worry about having to carry God along back with you. Don't worry about God being far away. Naaman, know that God is with you. Know that peace is yours is on you, is in you, leading you, and following you. Know that. Naaman, go in peace. Elisha does something incredible, something we participate in even today. Elisha turns an expectation into knowledge, turns an expectation into reality. While Naaman expects God to be present on certain soil, Elisha helps him to know that God is present always and everywhere, that God is real. This is the faith we have today, the faith we profess as we gather in this space and at this table, this faith, as Hebrews says, the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. God loves us. God is with us. God is real. These aren't things we hope for. These are beyond our expectations. These things are real. What I gather from our encounter with Naaman is this. God is a doer of the unexpected, an expert in the unanticipated. Given our brokenness and hurt, do we imagine at times that we are beyond the grasp of love, outside the possibility of reconciliation? past the point of no return? You see, I think we have this temptation 
this temptation to build from hope to expectation to solid reality. Well, if my hope comes true enough times, I can come to expect it. And when I expect it without fail, then it's a solid reality. And God says to us, Dear child, you've got it backwards. Start with God. Start with the reality of God and all that entails. The reality that we are loved and seen. The reality that we are welcome and belong. Then, expect to encounter and interact with the unexpected. God as the source of joy and surprise and wonder. Grounding ourselves in God gives a tether to our expectations and anchors our wildest, most glorious hopes. Because all of them are at home in God. So maybe it's okay to expect the unexpected after all. Amen.